welcome to the Destination Begin podcast. I'm your host, Kristen Smith. I've lost over 250 pounds. I've started my life over multiple times and managed to find humor, lessons, and joy in the process. And now I'm here sharing those stories with you. Thanks for joining me. Hi, hi. Welcome to the episode. I am recording live. I'm always recording live. Isn't that fun? I'm recording live from the chapel of the St. Louis airport. I had a connecting flight from New York City home and it's delayed. So I'm like, all right, let's be productive. Let's get to, be, get to work on this podcast episode that I have been slow playing. I'm terrible. I've had um, this planned and I've worked on it here and there, but I have not executed. I have not shipped and I'm feeling bad about it. So it's time to just, you know, do the podcast. I always love, love, love doing this podcast, but the problem is not finding the time to do it. The problem is finding a quiet time to do it in a quiet place. And um, I don't know how quiet this is going to be because I'm in an airport. And um, even though it's late in the evening, there are loud employees and there are lots of things going on outside the door. So we're going to just do the best we can. And, you know, you don't care. I'll tell you what. If this really sounds terrible, I'm going to give you your money back. <laughs> Deal. There you go. Um, I would like to say, if you like to listen to this podcast, so many of you listen and then you share it and I see it on your social media and it gives me just so much glee and I appreciate that many of you do that absolutely every time and I'm so grateful. If you have not shared this podcast before, I, I ask you to please do so. Um, the best way is to send it to somebody in your life that you think would like it. It's great to post it on your social media and I really appreciate that. Um, but also it would be great if you could just send an episode to a friend and say, here, check this out. People are more likely to check um, a little box on a, on a text message or click a link to just follow something directly than to look it up later. So if you send them a link, um, they might listen to it. And then that would spread this podcast out beyond the circle that it's already reaching. And I would love you forever. Let's get on to business. This is a Q&A episode. So I get asked a lot of questions and I try to save them up and then I purposefully ask questions on my Instagram to get some more so we have enough for a full episode. So lots of things here that aren't enough content for a whole episode so I can kind of touch on them um, just little by little in a Q&A app episode. So um, first question, how do you stay motivated? Um, well, <laughs> I don't know. Motivation is an interesting thing because... Motivation for me is when I see or hear something that makes me want to go and do something. So I don't know what the official definition of motivation is, but I don't always feel motivated. I don't always have an idea or a thought or a picture in my head that makes me go and work out or, you know, choose the chicken breast over the Doritos. But ultimately, it comes down to you don't, you shouldn't have to have motivation in order to do what you need to do. But motivation can be found everywhere. And if you're finding that you're not motivated, go look. Um, you know, do, a, do an internet search for transformation stories. Um, pick out a, a book from an Olympian or someone who's, who's overcome great odds in their lives to achieve great things. If you're looking for motivation, go find it. Go actively look for it because it's there. I, I am constantly motivated and inspired by a whole slew of people that I follow and I listen to on a daily basis. Um, I would say that one of the most motivating people to me is David Goggins. Um, his book, Can't Hurt Me, is just phenomenal. 
And when I think I don't want to get up and I don't want to do anything today, I just think about the fact that that man runs every day and he's run ultramarathons on broken ankles and um, he had to do the Navy SEALs training program like three times. And and then it makes it seem stupid for me to say that I'm not going to go do a half an hour of cardio. So I would say to look for inspirational and motivational sources and go back to them. I'm, you know, I read David Goggins' book, um, chunks of it over and over again, because it puts me in that mindset of, you know, push harder, stay hard, do more. So, um, otherwise you don't really need motivation. Sometimes you just have to do it. Sometimes you just have to keep the promise that you made to yourself and, um, and just say, it's not going to be an enjoyable workout today, or this meal isn't going to be my favorite, but I decided to reach a goal and I'm going to do it. Um, also one thing that's been helpful for me is I set monthly goals. I started this a couple years ago. And so I would set a goal in my personal relationship life, in my work life, in my diet life, and in my activity life. So it would be something like, you know, have a meatless Monday every week, run 50 miles this month, um, finish two work projects I've been procrastinating on, um, invest something in the people that I live with, something like that. So I would do a list every month and work on that. And that would keep me motivated with a fresh new set of little things to work on. And um, I still pull that trick out of the hat occasionally, although now I have um, kind of different goal lists that I I work on. So a little different, but I I recommend just doing those little things, setting up little, little monthly goals and little lists for yourself. So that was a long answer. Um, kind of going along with that, people ask me who I follow on Instagram and who do I love to follow. They have these things on Instagram called like follow me Friday and whatnot. And I don't get into that a whole lot, but, um, again, I really like to follow David Goggins. I like to follow Andy Frisella. Um, I really like Paleo MG, um, Julie Bauer of Paleo MG. Um, and they just give me inspiration and ideas and they usually post interesting memes and inspiring and really kind of accountability posts. Um, so I like to follow them. I also will say that I, I like to unfollow people occasionally. I find that some of the bloggers and some of the lifestyle people that I followed on Instagram, when I would watch their stories or see their content, it would just make me feel bad because I wasn't anywhere. I'm not anywhere close to where they are in life or I haven't achieved what they have or I don't, I can't put together an outfit like them or, you know, it would just start to make me feel less than, and it's important to check your reactions to that stuff. And if it makes you feel bad, if you walk away with a feeling of discontentment, unfollow them, stop looking at it, at least for a while. And just, just, there's no need to, I mean, obviously there's something to be said for, you know, why, or is it making you feel that way? But the easiest solution is to just stop following accounts that make you feel like you don't have enough or you aren't enough, or you need to do more or be better in ways that are not that important. Um, I have to follow and unfollow certain lifestyle people because when I start to get caught up in comparison, then I start to lose my satisfaction with who I am and I start to focus on the wrong things. So just remember that. Um, Oh, one of my absolute favorite people to follow is Jillian Michaels because she's like the OG fitness chick. She doesn't follow hype stuff. She doesn't get involved in the newest trends of weight loss or 
you know, diets or fitness. She is OG, work hard, women lift weights, lifts heavy weights, eat a variety of foods, eat a ton of fruits and vegetables, eat organic. She does not get caught up in hype. And she does her research and she's got a lot of really smart people around her and she's constantly vetting what's going on in the fitness and health community and calling BS on stuff. Um, she has a podcast as well that I really like. And um, she just has a solid work ethic. Her workout videos will kick your butt. And her books are incredibly well written and um, just really great, solid, healthy, balanced information. So if you need to start somewhere, if if you're looking for resources or someone to to really feel confident in following what, what she's going to say, Jillian Michaels is legit. She's legit. She's awesome. I love her. Um, I started doing her 20-minute workout DVDs in my living room when I was too embarrassed to start going to the gym when I was super obese. And um, 20 minutes a day kicked my butt. Um, she knows how to kick your butt. And uh, she's awesome. So love Jillian Michaels. Um, another question What's more important, diet or exercise? This is one I get a lot too. So if you want to reach your optimal health, you're going to do both. Um, so it really depends. Number one, you can't out-exercise a bad diet. So the first thing, if you, are, if you are completely living an unhealthy lifestyle and you want to start somewhere, I would say you need to start with your diet. You need to start um, cutting calories down to an amount where you're in a calorie deficit um, start pulling out processed foods and adding in clean, healthy, whole foods. And you need to address that first. That said, there's only so little you can eat. You can't just stop eating. So you have to eat food and you need to eat a certain amount for your body to stay functioning. So the way to, to c- increase your calorie burn rate, adding exercise is the way that you can really make a big difference. So if you're already in a calorie deficit, and you're at you know this low point where you this is how much you need to be eating, you can exercise in order to to increase the efforts of just your diet. So um, if you're not going to change your diet at all and you want to add an exercise, it's going to help, but it's not going to help as well as doing both. So if you have a day where you're going to go balls to the walls and eat all the crap in the world, you most definitely need to exercise to at least undo some of that damage. Um, but for me and in my experience, especially in how my brain works with all of this, diet is the first place to start. Um, it's just really, really important that, that you don't eat a lot of crap and overeat and then just think exercise is going to make the difference. Um, now if you're really close to your ideal weight, then obviously they work together even more closely and, you know, I'm not qualified to give you specific advice on a podcast that would apply to you if you are you know close to an ideal weight but if you're overweight and you're trying to lose weight start with the diet um start working on getting vegetables high fiber vegetables nutrient dense greens um fruits clean um lean meats um somehow just get the processed um, junk food out of your diet and start replacing it one thing at a time with real food and cut your calories. Got to be in a calorie deficit to lose weight. The end. That's science. <laughs> um, people ask me sometimes too, like, what's the worst thing I'm eating and what's the first thing I should do? In my opinion, pop. If 
you're drinking your calories, if you can just stop drinking your calories, you're going to like, it's makes such a big difference without, you know, dealing with, without even affecting your hunger levels, just switch to water with maybe some crystal light in it or something or lemon water. Just stop drinking your calories. Stop drinking pop. If you drink coffee, stop dumping the half and half and the cream in it. Switch to skim. Switch to some Truvia or Stevia, no calorie sweetener. Um, Stop drinking your calories. It makes a huge difference. And then cereal. Um, Cereal, I'm so upset about cereal. Um, I'm upset about cereal... I'm upset that cereal exists in the forms that it exists in, the highly processed sugary stuff, because at most grocery stores, there's a whole aisle that's all cereal. And this is what kids are raised eating every day before school. And it is a sugar, carbohydrate, processed crap fest. There's just absolutely no reason any child should ever go to school with a stomach full of cereal. It's the worst thing that you can do for your child. And it's marketed as a balanced breakfast when it's like Lucky Charms. And then on the side, they maybe show a banana and then orange juice. Which So you're sending your kid to school full of sugar instead of a blood sugar balancing, stabilizing meal of protein with fat with maybe a little carbs as well. Um, so if you're eating cereal, stop it. Just stop eating cereal. Um, if you really have to have cereal, switch to something that is gluten-free and, um, does not have added sugar. Uh, I I don't even know what. Oatmeal, steel-cut oats, thick, organic, gluten-free rolled oats. Those are the only two kinds of cereals that I can stand behind. That's me. That's just my opinion after researching cereal and um, I'm enraged about cereal. So pop in cereal, cut it out. So um, there's just a lot of foods that are called health foods these days, like yogurt. People feel like they're doing something good if they're eating a yogurt. Um, I agree if you're eating a Greek yogurt that's high in protein and doesn't have added sugar. Most of us don't eat that because it tastes terrible. Um, It's really sour. Um, We're eating the Yoplays and the Dannons that are full of sugar. You may as well just eat a package of Starburst on your way to work, honestly. Um, So yogurt, anything that's fat-free, they pull the fat out. They replace it with sugar. Don't eat fat-free things. Um, Protein bars and granola bars, they're not evil in and of themselves or anything. But again, it's this idea of I'm eating something healthy when ultimately choosing to eat a real meal instead of one of those things is always going to be better. To eat some chicken breast and oatmeal or some rice and um, and tuna, something like that for a snack. I know it's not as exciting. Um, and if you're on the go, sometimes you have to have a protein bar and sometimes you have to have a granola bar. I get that, but people eat them in mass quantities and every day, and they just certainly don't need to be a part of your diet. So again, I'm not judging you, but this is what I get asked. What are the worst things that I eat and what are the things I should cut out? And these are the things in my opinion that you can cut out. Um, so there you have it. On to something more happy. What kind of dog is Riggin? And can I have him? <laughs> that was legit a question. No, you can't have him. He's my baby. Um, Riggin is a Cavapoo. So he's a um, Poodle and a Cavalier King Charles Spaniel mix. And um, he's wonderful because he doesn't shed. He's hypoallergenic. He's 20 pounds. He's really smart because he's got that Poodle in him. He's really snuggly and loyal because he's got that Cavalier King Charles Spaniel in him. And um, he is just the little love of my life. He's the light of my life. Um, When I was married before, we got him as a puppy. 
Um, I had wanted a puppy. I wanted a, um, a Yorkie poo because I wanted a pocket dog. I wanted a little doggy I could put in my handbag and take with me everywhere. But I had stepsons who wanted a dog they could play with. And so we settled on getting Reagan um, because he's about 20 pounds fully grown, which was great because, you know, he's big enough to wrestle and play and play tug. And he's just such a fun dog. And he's not going to get hurt and stepped on and stuff. I still wish he was a little smaller when I have him because I would like to carry him around like my little tiny baby. But um, he's a little too big for that. But he is a wonderful dog, and I highlight him a lot on my social media because he's just so stinking cute and so precious and funny. And um, he has he has healed my heart in so many moments, and he's like the greatest lesson to me that I always have to keep my heart open because when life hurts or when I get hurt or when life has changed a lot for me in the last couple of years, he's been the constant and he's just, he's love. And so love, love wins all the things. And so Reagan has taught me that and he's just the best. And no, you can't have him. Um, cult church episode. I had lots of questions and I meant to do a follow-up episode and never did, but, um, the main question is how come I'm okay. And so many kids I grew up with aren't, and that's a great question. And I don't really know the answer. Um, I can guess, I think, I think the reason why is my parents never left. And so my friends I grew up with, their parents left and their families were excommunicated. Therefore, my friends experienced their family leaving the church and then having everything that they knew cut off from them. And I think that is a lot more difficult than it was for me being in the church and seeing all my friends leave, you know, like my family was never villainized and trashed and destroyed because my family never left. Um, but as my friends' families left one by one, you know, the, the, the MO was, oh, they were never good. We always knew they were terrible. And then everything bad that those people had ever done in the entire life, which our pastor and his family knew all the bad stuff you did. Like you always had to confess everything. And so when someone would leave, they would just let all that fly. Like um, we had this Tuesday morning women's prayer meeting where all the women of the church would get together and they would pray. Well, it was basically a glorified gossip session. And so when someone left, it was said in women's prayer meeting, like literally all the terrible things that had ever happened in those people's lives. I know stuff about these people that no one should know because it was just brought up in ladies' prayer meeting. And then they would pray and cluck their tongues. And like it was told, all these things were told as prayer requests. But we all knew like a prayer request is a glorified gossip session. We really need to pray for their marriage because you know, he stepped out on her and blah, 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 blah. Okay, let's pray. Let's pray. And then they would pray. And it's just like, I mean, even as a kid, I was like, this is terrible. It's so scandalous. So I think the reason that a lot of my friends that left had such a hard time um, dealing with life is because they were, de- their family's reputation was destroyed. They had to change their phone number um, and just hide. I mean, it, we all kind of lived in the same town. So like we would go to Kmart and I'd see these families there and I wouldn't be allowed to talk to him. So I put myself in my friend's shoes. She's in Kmart. She sees people that she's known since she was born. And now they're ignoring her like she's nothing and treating her parents like they're nothing. I think that's a lot more damaging. And so I think that's part of it. Um, 
And then also, I mean, I left of my own volition when I was more of an adult and it just started to kind of be BS. And so, um, that I think that's part of it too. But otherwise, I mean, I don't know. I think, I think being the youngest and seeing what my sister went through, um, also just affected me in such a way that, um, you know, I saw both sides. I saw, I was conflicted. I saw how the cult treated her because she was defying it. And that stressed me out because it was like, why can't you just follow the rules? But then I saw my sister and the hurt and the heartbreak that was born on her as a young girl who, I mean, she made a big mistake getting married young um, and leaving the church and trying to, to stand up for herself. But um, she paid a huge price and it was disgusting what was done to her. And so I think seeing both sides was good for me in the end as far as being able to move on and have a little bit of a the ability to do life. I don't know. I guess, I don't know. I mean, I don't feel like in my brain I'm normal. I feel like I, I function in life pretty normally, but my brain is a scary, terrible place to be a lot of the times. Um, I, I have reactions to things that are hardwired from when I was brainwashed in that And I have to stop and think and go, okay, wait, 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 wait. What do I actually think? And and I I mean, I I can't trust my gut and I can't trust my first thought on a lot of things because it's so skewed. And so it's exhausting and I don't really know that it's necessarily, um, necessarily quote unquote okay. So I don't know, but I mean, I function okay and stuff out there, but. And then people ask me about my brother because I didn't talk about him a lot. My brother is seven years older than me, and so I was not super close to him as ki- as a kid. And our family structure was my brother and then the girls because my sister and I were close in age. Um, but he worked for the pastor's son-in-law from the time he was 16. He was really close to him. And then eventually he actually was engaged to our pastor's granddaughter and um, was going to marry into the family. And um, I don't know how all of that came about as far as like him reconciling the beliefs of the cult church and that. I know my brother has like a big, beautiful heart and um, he really just, my he, I don't really know. I can't really speak for him, but he ended up not marrying her, thank God, um, and got out of that whole situation. And I feel like he had this big epiphany of like, wow, these are terrible people. He overheard things at their dinner table that was just so egregious that, um, that he really learned who they were as people, um, which helped me get out and helped me stay out by hearing the things that they would say about the people in their church, including my parents, um, at their own dinner table. So grateful for him (laughs) that he helped light the way to get out. Um, anyway, so my brother, my brother is my hero in many ways. He helped me get out of my house when it was dangerous when I was with my first husband um he he would have he would have taken a bullet for me um and he was just my rock and my lifeline and then um the only person who helped me when I left my second husband um was him he came and helped me load a car and just didn't really say a whole lot but it's like um it was just this moment for me of like my brother is here for me again. My brother will always rescue me. I hope he never has to rescue me ever again. And I will work really hard to make sure no one has to rescue me again. But of all the times I've needed rescuing, it's been my brother. So um, he's a magnificent human being. 
when I gave up gluten and sugar for the most part, the hardest thing has been getting used to not having baked goods as treats. But I found Smart Baking Company. And what's awesome about Smart Baking Company is they make gluten-free, sugar-free treats, but they're also low-calorie. It's not uncommon to find a gluten-free treat that's very high in calories, but you can eat two of Smart Baking Company's delicious lemon, raspberry, chocolate, or cinnamon cupcakes, two of them for only 76 calories. They're magicians there at Smart Baking Company. All their products are certified gluten-free through the National Celiac Association. They have zero net carbs, and the sweeteners that they use are monk fruit and erythritol. So you can feel good about eating these knowing they're not going to ruin your gut, they're not going to trip you up in the pursuit of your goals, and they're going to be that delicious treat that you've been missing out on. If you'd like to order, they have free shipping for some of their bundles. They ship right to your door. You put them in your freezer and then thaw them on your counter when you're ready to eat them for about half an hour, and they stay nice and fresh for you. So you can find them online at smartbakingco.com, and if you want a discount, you can use my code, destination underscore begin, for 10% off every time you order. The magic of podcasting. I'm home now. It's days later. I'm no longer in the St. Louis airport. Instead, I'm sitting here in my kitchen table with my dog dropping a bouncy ball at my feet over and over again and not mad about it. I sure love my doggie. Um, So getting back to questions, uh, one question I get, uh, how do I get my kids to eat better? Well, um, that's hard because, well, you're number one, you're the parent, so obviously you're in charge, but... Um, it's, it is really hard when kids are used to eating certain things, their friends are eating certain things. If they're in school, they're getting fed certain things. Um, I think the most important advice that I can give from me being a a former fat kid, I was a fat kid and my eating issues started as a kid, which they often do. Um, Aside from obviously changing what they're eating, which is a whole different um, topic from what or I'm going to branch into, the most important thing you can do is to try to disconnect food from emotional experiences. Because if you're an adult who struggles with eating, you already know, I don't have to tell you, that there are a lot of triggers um, to eat based on settings, events, situations, etc. And those patterns are built... Um, often very young. So when you eat something hyper palatable, it, it lights off these dopamine um, receptors in your brain. These pleasure centers are lit up. And when you do that in conjunction with an event or an activity that also is pleasurable, or even if it's not, just linking it to an event or an activity, um, it, it, it makes a pathway between your brain. So I don't know if, if you've ever had it where you pull off the freeway on a certain exit and it's near um, a, a bakery that you would often go to. You wouldn't maybe think about that bakery at all. But when you get off that exit, you think about it because that's where you pull off and you think, oh, the bakery's there and you've gone there and gotten something every time you've been in that area of town. Um, that happens to me with a certain donut shop. I don't think about duck donuts at all in my life. But when I go to Woodbury, where I used to live, to go to my old chiropractor, I get off the exit. I remember duck donuts is down the street, and it's about all I can do to not go get duck donuts. Every time I'm tempted and I crave it, there's a connection there between eating those donuts. And obviously, them, you know, it's not an emotionally heightened experience to drive, but I'm just saying 
we make these connections between a thought and a, a visual or a, a place or an activity that triggers a thought of food. And when you're a kid and say, you know, every time they wake up on a Saturday morning, they sit down in front of the TV with a bowl of cereal. Um, it's going to become a pattern where they like to sit down and watch TV while eating or eating cereal. Um, and so there's nothing inherently evil about any of those things. But so many of my clients that I coach struggle with eating on the couch in front of the TV. It's comfort. It's the way they relax. And that's a pattern that they're trying to now break as an adult. So if you as a parent can be proactive and think about these patterns that you struggle with, maybe just pick the ones you struggle with and and put effort into proactively not building those connections in your kids to make food happen at the table, seated down, paying attention. That's a big one. You know, Mindless eating is a habit that many adults um, struggle with. I struggle with it. Um, so that's a place you can start. You know, your kids have a ball game. You don't have to go get ice cream every time there's a ball game. You don't have to link a sweet treat with an activity. Um, one of the hardest things for me in this transition from being a, I mean, an overweight, obese, food obsessed, food addicted person my entire life until the age of 33 and beyond. I mean, I would say that I haven't really, I didn't really overcome a lot of my addictions until the past few years. Um, but one of the greatest struggles was figuring out how to be excited about anything other than food because I connected food to everything. And so it's a, it's a, pattern of behavior and it's a pattern of connection that starts um, as a child. So um, my child is 22 and he's out of the house and I had him when I was a kid and I made the worst parenting decisions ever when it came to his eating because I was eating terribly. And so unfortunately my son eats terribly and um, it's one of my biggest regrets is that I I did not teach him better and I didn't lead by example. And I, I, you know, it's, that's a regret that just, I, it eats at me. It's awful. That was not a pun on purpose, but, um, if I had a child now, it would be a totally different story. I mean, in in every way, not just eating. Um, but you know, you only know what you know. And I was very, um, in the throes of, of food addiction, but, um, that's just one thing that I would highly encourage. Start looking at the connections you're making between food and life with your kids and start to be intentional about breaking the ones you've already started and not creating new ones. Um, it's, it's a big favor you can do to your kids to eliminate that connection. And if you've already started down that road and you already see where your kids like you know food in certain settings or they've made those connections, you can start breaking those. I wouldn't break them all at once and like traumatize your kids. I mean, it is an emotional thing. I have cried many times driving past drive throughs that I used to stop at. After I had weight loss surgery, there was a day where I was absolutely distraught about something. And I was driving and I came through this area where I would always stop at the drive through at this one particular exit. I mean, I went to drive throughs all the time. I, I, I ate fast food almost every single day. And knowing that I couldn't go there and I couldn't do what I always did, which was soothe my emotions with food... I didn't know how to cope and I cried driving past that drive-thru. It was hard and that's legitimate. 
I was breaking a, a mind body emotion connection and it took a long time. So don't don't think that you're going to change all of those things with your kids overnight and I wouldn't attempt it. You know, be gentle. These are these are real connections. These are real links to emotions. Um but you can start maybe every other time. You celebrate in different ways or or you know, you you eliminate the food, you know, come eat your cereal at the table, then watch the TV, you know, those types of things. Um, and the, the bridge to that works. And I, I help some of my clients with this is they really, they have to eat on the couch while watching TV. That's just the way it is. They refuse to stop doing that. Then it's like, okay, well, what can you eat on the couch that if you're not paying attention to it, isn't going to hurt you or cause you to, to fail on your goal, reaching your goals. Um, so maybe you take away the, the mealtime sugary cereal and the only foods that get eaten in front of the TV are vegetables or fruit or something like that. I don't know. I'm just saying break that connection early. It's a great favor that you can do for your kids. What are some of the best mantras? You like to use mantras and I want to know what they are. So I do have mantras. Um, mantra is probably a strong word, but I have certain thoughts and, and sentences that I say to myself that really have proven to work really well for me. Um, I would say the best one, the one that works the most for me, the one that I use the most is just the sentence, it's just food. Because food, uh, it's emotional, it's beautiful, it's designed to trigger memories and salivation and emotion and um and is entertaining and I I find myself falling into that trap a lot of being mesmerized by food and talking about food and fixating on food and what gets me out of that is just you know it's just food because it is it's just food food is not supposed to have that kind of an impact if you think about green beans think about green beans a bowl of green beans hot green beans with a little bit of salt, steam rising. You may think, if you like green beans, oh, that sounds delicious. The end. But now if I'm like nachos, cheesy tortilla chips covered in melting cheese and greasy taco meat and, and sour cream and like I start listing off all the ingredients and describing something that's hyper palatable and super high in fat and carbs, which is the combination that your brain really, really, really likes. Um, it, it starts to trigger more of a fantasizing emotional response. And if I were to say, um, can you imagine never eating green beans again? You may think like, oh, that's kind of, that kind of sucks, but I could do it. And then if you say you can never have ice cream or candy again, it's a different response that happens in most people's brains. Why? Because those other foods are tied to emotional connections. Those other foods mean something to us. They represent something to us that food was never intended to represent. And you're not bad. You're not terrible. This is the world we live in where food is a business and food is entertainment and food is a lot of things that it was never intended to be. We are human beings. We need food to live, period. And I know that's not fun. And I'm not saying you should never have fun with food. But we work ourselves up into these emotional tizzies, into these emotional um, feelings and, and, 
and these ideas that we can't live without never having something or um it's it's truly a mind emotion connection to food and so that thought it's just food erases all of that emotional fantasy around food for me in the moment and I'm able to step back and say okay yeah um, this works really well for me when I'm with other people in a setting where I normally would not eat something, you know, what I would consider a treat, but other people are, and the emotion is going high and people are excited. It's really easy to get pulled into that and think, oh yeah, well, I could have that. If I can just stop and say, it's just food, then I come back to my senses and say, well, I mean, I didn't plan to eat that thing. I don't, I'm not going to feel good after I eat that thing. I already decided what I was going to eat. I'm just going to eat the food that I brought or that I was going to have. And I'm no longer in the emotional circle, the emotional cyclone. I used this this past weekend in New York City. Walking down the street of New York City, there's patisseries and bakeries and sweet shops. There's so many sweets. And it's easy to just go, oh my goodness, look at that. Oh, famous chef, whomever has a little little patisserie. I should really go in there. And I mean, when am I going to be back here again? And they're so beautiful. And it's, you know, it's like heightened emotion. I'm on vacation. I'm feeling rested. I'm excited. I should just have all the things. And so to, I said many times to myself, oh, it's just food. It's just a different conglomeration of, of flour and sugar and colors. And it's beautiful and it's lovely. I don't have to eat it. I want to feel good. I want to have energy. I know that if I eat all of that, I will have a sugar crash. I will need a nap. I will feel terrible. Um, you know, for me, sugar makes me sick. So it, it helps. It doesn't cure it because I have made myself sick with sugar many times. I have bucked the consequence and said, screw it, and eaten myself sick with sugar many times. But most of the time, I don't want to do that. So it's a powerful mantra. And I tell people... Um, I posted a lot in my social media. I posted a lot in the groups that I participate in that uh, where I try to coach people and help people. Um, it's just food. It's, it's just a truth bomb that often ends that emotional storm. What do you eat every day and what's your favorite treat? Well, what do I eat every day? Uh, there's a saying that Dr. Glenn Livingston has, and if you've listened to these other podcasts about the never binge again um, method that that I've trained under Dr. Glenn um, to coach, the, he talks about the lizard brain. He calls it the pig brain. And so what he says is, it's none of your pig's business what my pig can and can't eat, <laughs> which sounds kind of harsh, but here is the reason. And um, I'm not saying I'm not going to say what I eat. I talk about what I eat all the time, but the reason I get asked that is usually somebody who is looking for a way to eat differently and get away with stuff. And and it's not bad. I'm not I'm not ripping on people, but here's the thing. A lot of times we learn that there's a certain food or a certain type of food that when we eat it, we can't control ourselves. So like a binge trigger food. Um, for me, sugar's that way. Once I have some sugar, I need all the sugar. I want all the sugar. I turns into a full blown cheat day, a full blown blown binge and off to the races. It doesn't matter what kind of sugar it is. It's what happens. And I have people that I know, a lot of people who can have a jelly bean and go on with their day. 
And so my pig brain sees that and says, you should be able to have a jelly bean. They can. You know, one jelly bean is not a big deal. So if I look at jelly beans and I see someone I know who's fit and healthy eating jelly beans, my pig brain goes, look at that. There's something wrong with you that you can't eat those jelly beans and walk away. You should be able to have jelly beans. And so then I start to think, yeah, this is ridiculous. I'm being so hard on myself. I'm going to have jelly beans too. And then I go down the rabbit hole. I got the jelly beans. Well, guess what? Those jelly beans represent something to me that, that it doesn't represent to other people. So it is none of my pig's business if that person can or cannot eat those jelly beans. Plus, I don't know what's going on in that person's head. Do I stand up next to the jelly bean bowl and say all this stuff going on in my head? No. Someone would see me, a fit, healthy person, grabbing jelly beans and walking away and never know that I have just kick-started a mental storm of emotions and triggers and all kinds of crap in my body and the sugar response Nobody knows. I don't stand there and say, oh, wow, now I want cake. Now I want donuts. I think I'm going to make this a full-blown binge day to make it count and get back on track tomorrow. And then the war that starts between my lizard brain and my rational self to try to stop that from happening. And it just started with jelly beans. So when I tell other people what I eat, that often happens in their brain. Like, oh, Kristen needs oatmeal. Maybe I should have oatmeal. Knowing full well that when they eat oatmeal, something terrible happens in their body or it triggers something for them or whatever. That's just an example. So be careful um, your motives when you're trying to find out what other people eat because it's often a trick of that lizard brain um, to try to get you or get an excuse or a reason to do something you already know in your rational brain is not good for you. Um, I've done it a billion times, a billion times. Especially when I just see something on social media where, you know, I see a healthy, fit person. Like this morning, Heidi Powell. I love following Heidi Powell. She's awesome. Her and Chris Powell, they had the Extreme Makeover um, TV show where they helped people lose weight and transform their lives. Love her. So she's on a road trip eating candy with her kids. And my brain immediately was like, see, she can have candy. You should be able to have candy whenever you want. She's having candy. And it was just, I went down the rabbit hole of like feeling sorry for myself that I can't eat candy whenever I want and that I should really find a way to recover from the fact that I can't eat candy. When I, I already know me and candy don't get along. It makes me sick. It makes me sleepy. I don't feel good. I can have it, but I choose not to because of how I feel after I eat it. And Heidi Powell may put that phone down and stop Instagramming and she may feel like garbage. I don't know. She's not going to tell me. And so I cannot judge from that 10-second Instagram story how Heidi Powell and Candy get along. And so it's none of my business. And I already know my relationship with Candy and what it should be. So all of that to say, what do I eat? Um, I will tell you, I eat 90% um, whole, clean foods. In this house, we um, food prep vegetables, chicken, Um, and then some kind of a grain, farro, barley, rice, oatmeal. It's very mundane and boring. It's very white. We eat a lot of white food. Um, But we use seasonings and um, salsa, and we cook up vegetables and and flavor things as much as we can. But that's the Monday through Friday thing. On a Monday through Friday, we're working. We're working out. Food is fueling what we're doing. Food is not an emotional experience. We certainly enjoy putting our work down and sitting down to eat. We're hungry. We enjoy our food. Um, But we've really honed 
the act of, of just eating nutritious, healthy food and moving on with our day. It's not an emotional experience. Now, when we go out of town, when we visit Randy's family, especially his mom is a magnificent cook. That's when having super delicious foods with other things, things you normally wouldn't eat that aren't ideal for your body. That's the time that we say, you know what, we're going to eat whatever, kind of whatever we want. These are special occasions with special foods um, that we don't get all the time. And so that's kind of how we both manage our um, meal plans and eating. Same with me. I was just in New York City. Um, It was a weekend for me to rest and um, sleep in and turn my brain off, leave my work at home, um, and eat some New York City pizza and have some treats and enjoy some food that I otherwise do not encounter within reason, um, without falling down the rabbit hole and making myself sick. Um, And then I came home and it's back to nutritious, whole, clean foods. Um, And it's, I'm sorry, it's not more exciting than that. Um, But that's what we're doing right now. Uh, And my food plan has changed a lot over time. I like to try different things. I like to see how my body responds to eating patterns. I've done intermittent fasting. It's worked really well for me um, for long periods of time. Um, And it still works for me. Um, I'm using a coach right now uh, with some specific workout plans and specific food um, timing and meal sizes. And I've never done that before. So it's really kind of fun to just see how my body reacts. My body's reacting really, really well to more small meals throughout the day. I've never done that. And uh, I'm not saying that I'm going to do it forever, but for right now, that's what I'm doing. And it's been interesting. Um, And then switching to literally, I mean, I don't eat salad dressings anymore. I don't eat, I don't eat really anything out of a package. And my resting heart rate, which I track through my Fitbit, has plummeted. Like my body has, has calmed down and it wasn't crazy before. But my sleep is deeper. My sleep quality is better. My resting heart rate went down four four beats. It used to be like 57, 58. It's down to, you know, 52. One day it was 49. And the only thing that's changed is the type of food in my diet. And so that just tells me that my body is is functioning more efficiently on clean, boring, um, but healthful, balanced food. So... It's interesting, and I'm always kind of playing with it because it's interesting to me um, what my body does. So that's basically what I eat. I'm sorry it's not more exciting, and I'm sorry that I threw a preaching lesson in there <laughs> for you. But, you know, the, when you ask, you get an answer. That's how this podcast works. How did you start this podcast, and why do you do it? Did podcasting make you rich? Well... I think that's a sarcastic question because I've said it here before that podcasting doesn't make you rich. Um, I started this podcast on Anchor. Um, Anchor is just the easiest way to start a podcast. I had been wanting to do this and I just was kind of frozen. And finally one day I was like, all right, I just have to do it. It's not going to be perfect. It's going to get better as time goes on, which I don't know if it has or not, but um, I just have to start. And so Anchor is free. Anchor is easy. I'm recording this on my phone. Sometimes I record um, on my computer with a microphone. I can edit it on the go. It's great. So I would say if you have a podcast idea and you want to do it, just download Anchor and start using it. Um, But they also had an ad program. So these podcasts, a lot of them have ads in them for Anchor. And so you get like a penny every time someone listens or something. 
So I've made $50 doing a podcast and I've spent hundreds of hours on it. So no, it does not make you rich. It does not make you anything. It is completely and utterly a, a labor of love. Why did I start this podcast? I'll tell you why. That's an easy answer. I have a passion in my gut. I have a fire in my gut that is something that I cannot deny and it does not dim or go away ever. And that fire is to get in front of mostly women is, you know, obviously I'm a woman. When I envision this, it's women. Every single woman who is stuck somewhere in their life, their career, their relationship with their body. And I want to get in front of every single one of them and say, Hey, you can get unstuck. You can, you can. I did. I did. And that means you can, because you and me are the same. There's nothing special about me. I don't have a special ability. All you have to do is start and I want to cheer you on. I want to, I, I, I wish I could get every single woman in this world that feels that way in front of my face so I can look them in the eye, grab their shoulders and say, you can. And I can't do that. <laughs> I can't find all the people and bring them to me and say that to them. And so this podcast is a way that I can try to say that in all of the different ways, using all the different examples and stories and tips and tricks from my journey so that if there are people who need to hear it, maybe they'll find this and maybe I'll reach a few. And I have reached some and it's the most exciting thing. I'm telling you, I get DMs from people. Hi, I just found your podcast and I love it so much. I've been listening every day. Um, you, the things that you say are things I need to hear. I am so lit up when I get a message like that. My whole world feels like I am doing what I'm supposed to be doing. And by day, I'm a full-time accountant. Like I don't make money doing this. My, most of my time is spent doing other things. A little bit of my time is spent doing this. And it is the most gratifying, most satisfying, most soul-affirming thing to hear that what I have been through and my story matters in someone else's life for the better. There is no greater thing. And so I do this podcast because I, it's a way that I can hopefully get what I have to say and my story to matter for more than just me. I say over and over again, my pants fit and it feels really good. And that's an awesome feeling because I used to be 400 pounds and they didn't make pants big enough for me in conventional stores. Now my pants fit. That's great. I've been through all of this and I've learned all of this so my pants can fit better. It's great, but it's got to matter for more than just that. What I have been through and what I have learned and all of the things along the way, I want it to matter for someone else too. And that fire is, it's an inferno in my guts. And I get frustrated because I don't have a way to, to get to more people. I don't have a way to get in front of more people. I want to do that. That is my passion. That is my heart's desire. So my goal, especially before this year with the pandemic, um, was to start getting out in front of groups and a, telling my story and B, cheering people on and, and trying to get that message out. Like, what are you stuck in? You can get out. Here's how you start. Here's how you find the starting line. Your starting line is different than mine, but you can find it and you can take day one and then you can go to bed and you can wake up and it can be day one all over again in a new place. And you keep doing that and you can change your life. And you can live, you can action verb live, and you can shake off the burden of whatever it is you're stuck under. For me, it was weight 
and relationships and ideas and ideology and brainwashing. And I've stepped out of all of that over a process of 15 years to where I don't have to carry that anymore. And you don't either, which is so exciting. And I want to share that. And that's why I do this podcast, which is why I'm so passionate with every episode. I say, please share this with someone. Please get this into the hands of someone you know that you think needs to hear what I have to say. Please share. That, that's the only way that this gets into people's hands. I don't have a marketing um, person. I don't have an agent. I don't know any of that stuff. The hardest part about all of this is getting it out there. So if you're someone who knows how to get this podcast out there more, please let me know. Um, I'm terrible at all of those things. Um, so anyway, that's why I do it. That's how I do it. Um, and when you share it, it means the world to me because you're helping me um, spread the spread the information, the passion, the idea that you can get unstuck, the, the fact that you can get unstuck. You can get unstuck from anything. There are no obstacles. There are no obstacles. There are no obstacles. The end. Do you think you could have lost all the weight you lost without weight loss surgery? Um, this is a common question too. It's a, uh, you know, I don't know. I obviously I did have weight loss surgery, so I can only guess. I would say, yes, I could have lost all of that weight without weight loss surgery. Anyone can. I don't know if I would have. Potentially, I mean, that's it's a really hard question to answer. Here's the thing. I lost a lot of weight before weight loss surgery. And by the time I had that surgery, it was because I had done a lot of work. I had started working out and eating healthy. And, and I was stuck up against the wall of the hardest core habits and food addictions that I had never been able to overcome. So I had brought my caloric intake down. I lost 100 pounds. I had made working out a part of my life, but I still wrestled with binge eating, um, junk food, eating in bed, bad habits, overeating. I So I would start diets and I would fail diets. And so the weight loss surgery really really put a lock on the door essentially so that when I was confronted with opportunities to do what I had always done, I couldn't. And that forced me to have to deal with a lot of the emotional reasons why I ate. And so it was just very helpful. And that is what weight loss surgery is intended to be. It's intended to be a tool. And I have an episode here in the podcast about weight loss surgery. And so if you are interested in learning more about that part of my story, there's a whole episode about it. But um, it's a tool to, for a period of time, hyper-restrict how much you can eat. Like, And I say for a time because right now I can eat, I can eat as much as a normal person. There's no difference really. I mean, my stomach is still smaller, but I mean, I can eat 6,000 calories in a day quite easily. I can eat um, a lot of food. So now it's, it's not really functioning as a tool as much. But for a period of time, there's hyper-restriction. And I was eating a few bites of food per meal. And I really had to stop using food as my drug of choice. So it was really powerful. And after that restriction kind of releases, that's when the hopefully all of those new habits stick and hopefully a lot of the new relationships with life and food stick um for me they did for the most part but i still struggled with 
hyper palatable foods and overeating and going on streaks of, you know, really binging on junk food and then wearing that shame blanket of, well, I've had weight loss surgery and I've lost all this weight and yet here I sit surrounded by junk food bags. And so the never binge again methodology and learning how to set food rules for my life and identify that lizard brain voice and my rational brain, that's really has been the biggest key to my lifestyle now. Um, And I really do believe if I had found that way back then, um, I would have lost weight without surgery. But I don't know that for sure. The weight loss surgery was just a huge, wonderful, awesome tool in my life. So anybody who's considering weight loss surgery, I am a big proponent of it. Obviously, you have to research it and you need to choose the type of surgery that is best for you in your situation. And there are risks to every surgery. There are definitely complications and risks involved in weight loss surgery. It's not perfect. And I know people who've had incredibly um, terrible, awful things go wrong because of weight loss surgery. So it's no small decision. But if it's something that you're looking into and you just want to know my perspective, I had an incredibly positive experience. It was hugely pivotal um, to get me kind of over the hump and through the woods of um, a a large chunk of weight loss. And I've lost quite a bit of weight since um, weight loss surgery, since the restriction ended, basically. The first year I lost a lot of weight, and then I stagnated for a long time. And then I've slowly continued to lose since then. So I didn't get to my ultimate goal weight with weight loss surgery, but it's really been a really powerful tool. So, but you know, if if weight loss surgery isn't in the cards for you, then I would say you absolutely do not have to have weight loss surgery in order to reach your goal weight. Um, It takes time and it definitely requires um, a lot of work and not having that restrictive tool is, you know, obviously makes it a little more difficult, but you can. I mean, it, it really comes down to that day one every day. And if you do fall on your face, um, getting up as soon as possible and getting back to it um, is really important. So, yeah, it's a hard question to answer. I don't know. I don't know. Uh, I don't, it's not a name your adventure um, book, this life. But for me, it was definitely pivotal. And when you lose a lot of weight, it increases your confidence and your ability to lose weight. And so saying, oh, wow, I've lost all this weight, and then you look at the 10, 15, 20, 30 pounds left, you think, okay, I can also lose this. So it's a great confidence booster too, which I think definitely plays into the psychology. Um, So hugely helpful. Do I think it's necessary for everyone? No. Do I think it's powerful for most? Yes. Maybe that's the best way to answer that question. On that note... I think we're done here. I have some more questions haven't gotten to, but this episode is getting long. So I'm going to save them up for another Q&A episode. So send me your Qs and I'll put together the A's. It's kind of a fun way to do a podcast episode. So thanks for the questions. Send me more and we'll do this again. I'd love to hear from you individually. If you have something you want to say, suggest, argue, or if you have podcast topic ideas, or just simply want to talk about your personal weight loss and health and fitness goals, you can email me, Kristen, at destinationbegin.com. You can always find me on Instagram too. I'm posting there all the time. That is destination underscore begin. And you can also just check out my website, destinationbegin.com. Destination Begin.